This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our she shed, as we practice social distancing, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. She said she shed on the she shore. I can't do it. This is Kyle. (laughs) And today on the podcast, our interview with Tombstone Captain Ray... Billings? Billings. Billing. Billing. Billings. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn, Podbean, and Player FM. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate all of your fantastic support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have 12 news items for you today. This week, more than 200 BattleBots competitors from 60 or so teams are making their way to Long Beach, California, where the 2020 season will begin filming this Friday. The teams will enter a two-month media blackout, and we will likely see very few updates from Combat Robotics social media until the show returns to the air on the Discovery Channel. Naturally, you might be wondering, when will the 2020 season premiere? I did the math, and over the past four seasons of the show, BattleBots has premiered an average of 41 days after filming is complete, which, if that trend holds, would either be the last week of November or the first week of December. The next major news event that we're expecting is when BattleBots updates its website with the 2020 roster of robots that competed on the show. That typically happens right before the season premieres and includes a bunch of really interesting data that we're looking forward to digging into on this show. Kyle, thoughts on uh, on filming week starting this Friday? I think that filming week starting this Friday is really exciting, really scary, and it also means that we're all about to get really bored and it definitely means that my life as a BattleBots Facebook group admin is going to get more annoying because I will have to be very vigilant to make sure there are no spoilers posted. Who well, would that, post- is about to change. <laughs> okay, Kyle, who would post spoilers? I mean, there's 400 people in the building. Uh, yep. and 200 of them are being paid paid by BattleBots. I'm assuming that, you know, the the gaffers and the lighters and the uh, electricians are not going to be posting spoilers. The team are posting spoilers everything. Look, who has posted spoilers in the past? Let's get into it. Um, wow. Fans that showed up. Okay. Yep, that's happened. Teams that have shown up. Yep. That's definitely happened. Heck, we've interviewed some of them on this web or on this uh, podcast. Um, let's see, producers accidentally posting spoilers, that's happened. Hmm. Uh, let's see, oh, tech crew accidentally posting spoilers, yeah, that's definitely happened. Friends of builders who just came to hang out with their buddies and take some pictures, 
that's definitely happened. So yeah, there's a lot, like literally any human being that is at BattleBots, and as you pointed out, there's almost 500 of them, could post a spoiler, and I have to be very vigilant to make sure they don't on my Facebook page. Now, if they do it on Reddit, I can't do anything about that. But just on the BattleBots Facebook page, I have to make sure that it doesn't happen. Otherwise, people uh, disengage from the page because they get very upset about spoilers. Totally, totally makes sense. Uh, the thing that the thing that I really love about this is that um, 500 people will know who wins the giant nut in like two weeks from now. And uh, it's going to be a gigantic surprise until like the middle of next year. Uh, like I, I love that someone is taking home the giant nut. Other people are gonna be taking home giant bolts and they're gonna have to keep a giant secret, you know? Uh, like now, I, I love that, I love that. To be clear, what I'm like, the spoilers are not i'm i'm making it out as like worse than it is right like some of the spoilers that have happened in the past is like some folks got a look at quantum before anything had been released to the public um okay. that we had to delete real fast and here's the great part is we had british fans wonderful british fans who wake up before all of us americans who let us know hey this happened and within five minutes um, it had been deleted and it was all taken care of, like literally no problem at all. So like spoilers are not a huge problem. It's just something I have to be overly vigilant about because, you know, keeping that secret is so important. Um, and like one of the other ones that was spoiled was there was a little bit of footage released of Deep Six's first fight. Not even the whole fight, just a little bit of footage. And still, like, I don't want to see anything from what's going on in the battle, bots, battle box, especially before the season is released. That's not cool. Um, so that had to be taken down really quick. And that was one that, like, not only did we take it down off of the group when it was posted in a comment thread, but it was taken down off Reddit, it was taken down off YouTube. Like, it was a joint effort to get it down off of everywhere to make sure that it didn't happen. So there are a bunch of people working very hard to make sure that this secret is kept and it's kept well in that time period between filming and then editing and then actually putting the show out. Speaking of well-kept secrets, on over to Chomp, which posted the team's first actual photo of the robot, which remains one of the most anticipated competitors this season. They write, quote, we're in full crunch mode here and putting the final touches on Chomp this week. Confidence is high. We'll get her walking in no time. Chomp will return to the 2020 competition as a 500-pound walker bot sporting a devastating AI-guided hammer. Speaking of hammer bots, the team behind the new and improved Beta has landed in America, writing, quote, after an exciting journey, meeting with Homeland Security and Border Patrol bombarded with questions and taken to little rooms, we can confirm that Team Beta has arrived at a secret location in California. The team has started quarantining together for the past week and a half, just in time for the competition to start this week. On the way home, the team will also be required to quarantine for two weeks in the UK, making it a six week round trip. Rounding out our segment on Hammerbots, New York based Bots FC is showing off their new and improved robot, 
with reflective ablative armor so shiny, its glamour shots look like a computer rendering. Team Captain Adam Wrigley is probably the most stylish builder in the pits this year, and his very cool design aesthetic is on full display with the 2020 version of his bot, which will feature an aluminum billet chassis. Wait, can we all just take a minute, just a minute, to go, oh my gosh, this bot looks so pretty. It's Lindsay, so pretty. what it's, do you think about this bot? It's gorgeous. Oh, it's, it's so gorgeous. It's like, you know how for a long time, like galaxy print was really in fashion. This is like every galaxy, galaxy print lover's dream. It's just so beautiful. And I, I want to shine a light on it so I can watch it shimmer. I want to shine it. So many lights on it. I want to put a black light on it. I want to get some like Ooh. red and blue twinkle lights on it. What do you think, Chris? What do you think about this beautiful bot? Galaxy print. You know, it's like like the galaxy. And Hold on. A thing? Yeah. I don't know. It's it might have a different name. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's that like slightly holographic print that was on like pants and jackets. It basically it came out at the same time as like um, Xenon Girl of the 21st Century on the Disney Channel. Ooh, that I can't confirm, but it sounds legit. (laughs) (laughs) I was more of a Xena Warrior Princess guy myself. (laughs) That was about the same time period, actually. On over to Utah, where the team behind the rookie flipper bot Aegis is embracing its inspiration in Greek mythology, appearing at the 2020 competition with a chariot that carries the name of each of their GoFundMe sponsors, notably Deep Six. I checked with Deep Six captain Dustin Eswine, who did in fact donate money to the build. So it's kind of nice to see that Deep Six will be riding into the battle box this year, even though the team is sitting this year out. Speaking of GoFundMe, Kronos captain Jerry Serafin this week launched a new GoFundMe page for the 2020 version of his ring spinner in hopes of raising $3,000. He writes as Kronos, quote, I need your help. My wheels are wrecked, my head is split open, and I sure could use a nice new look for the big day. My humans, Jerry, Johnny, and Trent, got me an incredible new motor, and I feel twice as powerful as before. But they're starting to stress about something called money, and they're really hoping some other humans can help. As an incentive, the team is giving supporters holographic stickers at the $10 level and t-shirts at the $30 level. We'll include a link in this week's show notes. On over to Gamma 9, which posted driveway video of the most complete look of the bot to date, which now has a front wedge and wheel guards. The 2020 version of the bot appears to be a control bot without the piercing beak we saw when the bot last appeared on the show in 2018. Gamma 9 Captain Curtis Nemeth went to BattleBots in 2019 as part of the team behind Battlesaw. Can I just say, because it just, it strikes me every time and I don't know if we've brought this up. Okay. Every time we look at this bot, it reminds me of the 1960s TV show Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it needs to have like wings and, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a missile in the, in the front grill. Yeah, that was an atomic-powered Batmobile, which means that that Batman and Robin were irradiated, and that's yeah. messed up. Yeah, past versions of the bot had like a little dome on the on the top, and I, I think like a little person sat inside of it. Um, you know, kind of adding to the Batman aesthetic. Um, we we haven't seen the dome, the return of the dome yet in 2020. But then again, we haven't seen the top the top panel yet on the yeah, bot. Yeah, I bet it'll come right back. I guarantee I so. it will. I hope so. 
Speaking of driveway videos, the beefy shell spinner Gigabyte posted a new video of their spin up and spin down routine in what appears to be a suburban driveway in Southern California. The video showed how the bot is capable of spinning down well within the 30 second time limit to pass its safety test at BattleBots. What they didn't show you was uh, when, when Gigabyte hit a rock and took out a toddler. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that that video is subject uh, to a civil lawsuit, so uh, we're not going to be seeing that on Facebook anytime soon. Being submitted as evidence. I hate everything about this video. Like, it made me so nervous the entire time. Um, just take your bot, literally, take it to the backyard. I don't know, take it inside of your garage. I'm not sure. Like, you know, the shell spinners not safe. Don't do that. <laughs> like, it's not. Just stop. Speaking of sketchy weapons tests, the team behind the casino-inspired vertical spinner Jackpot continues to test their bot's weapons motors by attacking poor defenseless tires on deserted roads outside their hometown of Las Vegas. The team writes on Facebook that they hid behind a vehicle during the test, holding a camera up above the door. On over to Massachusetts, where the team behind Ribot, the frog-themed modular bot from WPI, is bringing a new type of body to the competition this year after BattleBots outlawed the type of foam they used last season because it was such a pain to clean up between matches. This season, Ribot's body is being vacuum-formed into shape. The team posted photos and video of the vacuum-forming process where they revealed they'll be bringing eight frog bodies to the competition this year and what appears to be two robot chassis. Lindsay, thoughts on Ribot? Uh, I'm really excited about Ribot because it was one of my favorites last season. Um, and while they can't bring the foam bodies after it was outlawed after last season, uh, I do like the new look. I mean, obviously they're not painted yet, but uh, in their unpainted form, they look kind of like Ribot-themed terracotta soldiers, which is kind of cute. So there's that, I guess. Yeah, whole undead army of, of frogs. <laughs> On over to Silicon Valley, where the team behind Tantrum is showing off its new self-writing arms, a pair of clenched fists made out of carbon fiber. It's unclear at this point whether the fists will, in fact, shoot fire as the team had originally expected. And finally, I'd like to close out this segment with a yo-yo update. There will be two competing yo-yo companies sponsoring two competing robots this season on BattleBots. As we've previously reported, Scorpios Captain Zachary Lytle negotiated a sponsorship this year with Duncan, the company that licenses the magnetic yo-yo that he invented. Not to be outdone, Team Uppercut this week revealed they'll be sponsored by the Arizona-based Yo-Yo Factory. Uppercut Captain Alex Hattori is a championship yo-yo thrower and has his own branded yo-yo through the Yo-Yo Factory called the Alex Hattori Boost. Hey, Luke. Uh, I have a question. Do you, yeah. Think, do you think they had the, they got those sponsorships, no strings attached? <laughs> uh, that sponsorship has its ups and downs. Ooh. Uh, and that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Tombstone Captain Ray Billings. This 
week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, the king of kinetic energy, tombstone captain, Ray Billings. How you doing, Ray? I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> doing well. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Um, Ray competed on the original run of BattleBots with his bots Darkness and The Raven. BattleBots fans know him for Tombstone, the devastatingly powerful horizontal bar spinner. That he, uh, they took home the Giant Nut in 2016 and the Giant Bolt the previous year for most destructive robot. Uh, Tombstone is based on Ray's incredibly successful robot, Last Reich, which took home the Combots Cup in 2008 and 2012. And this season, Ray helped fix up Paul Ventimiglia's 2009 Giant Nut winner, Brutality, which will appear this year as Perfect Phoenix, driven by 11-year-old Tyler Wynn. We're looking forward to getting into this and all these topics in the next 30 minutes or so with Ray. So welcome to the show. Ray, we've got dozens of questions from fans for about Tombstone. We're going to do something a little different today and basically turn the show over to the fans and exclusively ask you their questions. Um, okay. but, but before we do that, we're just a couple of days away from the start of filming. And I'm curious, what do you need between now and Friday? Um, do you need a hug? Do you need like some more bolts? Are you in, need more batteries? What do you need right now? You know, the thing is, no matter how prepared you are to go to an event like this, there's always something you didn't foresee. There's, there's something that gets in your way that thinks you need, you think you have enough and you don't. So, uh, I, I think we're poised to go the distance. I think we're set. I think we're good. Um, <laughs> About the only thing I probably need at this point in time is maybe a bit more sleep than I've been getting. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty typical, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so what are you looking forward to the most this season? I mean, you've been seeing the the other bots announcing and uh, all of the kind of Facebook and, and Reddit hullabaloo as the rest of us has. So what what are you looking forward to about 2020 BattleBots? Uh, well, obviously, you know, anytime we go to these events, the blast. So I, I'm I'm just looking forward to being there and getting back in the arena um it, with the with the delays this year from everything that's going on I, i'm just happy that we're at a point where we can have an event this year yeah. I, I don't have a whole lot of you know super major expectations i'm just glad that we're back at a point where we can get in the arena and put on a good show for the fans Oh man, we're very excited about that too it's going to be a small dose of something kind of normal in a very strange year um, okay, so let's start with a question from Judy Everidge, who asks, how did you get interested in this sport? Um, okay, so I've had multiple jobs over my lifetime, one of which um, I taught computer networking at an adult college. And my boss at the time, the department head, was a big fan of the original BattleBot show, back on Comedy Central. And so he would tape the show on VHS tapes. He'd bring it in and between classes and in breaks and whatnot, we'd watch some of these episodes. And that was kind of my first introduction into, into the sport. Um, I had a lot of fabrication background at the time. He was really sharp electronically. So between the two of us, we had this idea that we could put together something and we could build something to go compete. Um, unfortunately, life took him in different directions. He ended up getting a different job someplace else. And so he was never actually able to, to go to any of the events. But that's that was where the, the original you know, interest started. 
And then, then from there, it just turned into this, you know, wonderful long-term father-son project between me and my son, Justin. Um, I've had several conversations with Justin online. He's a really charming guy. I like him a lot. And uh, that's cool that this is a father-son project. Um, all right. So I want to talk to you about, well, okay. So let's go to our next listener question from Alexander Archer. He asks, you're famous for building two of the most feared machines in robot combat history, Last Rites and Tombstone. Can you tell us about some of the other bots that you've built, some of your favorites maybe? Um, okay, well, I've actually built quite a few robots. And, you know, you can say, okay, he built Last Rites and he built Tombstone. Well, I mean, those robots individually have been built dozens of times from scratch. So it's <laughs> it, it's not like I built a last right or I built a version of tombstone. They, they change every year, even though they don't look all that much different. Uh, some of the other ones that I've built, there's some that I've done that have been much less serious. So, um, Oh, I had a lightweight version called Frosty the Snowbot, which just a, a, a big plastic snowman up on top of the robot. Uh, we had, we had, we, we had one called the great pumpkin. The original version of the great pumpkin had an inflatable pumpkin. It was about seven feet tall. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've made some that were, that were meant to be entertaining rather than competitive. Um, I've also made some that have different, that were pretty serious in how competitive they were. So I, um, built a couple of 30 pounders that were much more serious in that regard. Uh, suitcase nuke was a 30 pound version of like last lights. Uh, I did one called, uh, something like green, which was a little vertical, uh, spinner. It was kind of a, a, a cool little robot. So I built quite a few actually in, in every weight category from 12 pounds up. I haven't done anything smaller than a 12. That's awesome. All right. So we've got a follow-up question from Adrian Susino who asks, what is the future of Swamp Thing and will it ever come to BattleBots? I'm also very curious about this. Um, okay. So, so Swamp Thing is it's basically a big wedge robot. I mean, we, we got a flamethrower on it. We got a hammer on top. We did other things to, to try to make it more legal as far as weapon requirements for battle bots. But at its core, it's basically just a really stout wedge, which is not something that battle bots wants on their show. So, um, They've asked me a couple of times to bring it in case they were going to be low on robots, and I packed that heavy thing up and put it in the truck and took it down there, and it didn't get used. So at, at this point in time, they'd really have to beg me pretty hard to bring it back because <laughs> if I have to load it up and take it down there and then trip over the thing in the pits for two weeks and they don't use the thing, it's just it's kind of frustrating. So I, I'd love to say we'd bring it back at some point in time. It's together. It's sitting in my garage. It runs fine. It's combat ready right now today. But I don't, I don't know when we'll see it in the arena again. And you'd think in the uh, mad dash that is the 2020 season, they'd be begging you to bring whatever robots you can. Um, honestly, they probably would have liked me to bring it this year. But considering I'm taking Tombstone and Perfect Phoenix, I've already got kind of my hands full at this point in time so the idea of loading up a third heavyweight to take the battle bus just seems crazy at this point yeah as uh as the great paul ventimiglia once said more robots more robots more problems <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> 
All right, so uh, let's transition into the 2020 season. Um, so Alexander Archer asks, and I know kind of what your answer to this is going to be anyway, but I have to ask, what <laughs> major upgrades have you made to Tombstone this season? Uh, we, we've made a few changes that you'll see. Uh, we've made a few changes that you won't see. Um, so talking about things internally, um, last season when I had the match against Rotator and we had burned up basically everything inside the robot, um, I burned up the speed controllers that I'd been using for years. And so I had two spares. I was able to put those back in and continue through the rest of the event. But as it sits right now, I no longer have any spares. The spares I have are the ones that are in the robot. And those particular speed controllers are no longer made, so I can't buy any more. So we had to come up with a different electronic setup as far as control goes to get parts that are available today. So the some of the electronics inside have been rewired and rearranged in there. And so there has been some internal changes. Um, as far as externally goes, the, the robot is basically the same dimensions. Frame-wise, everything there is the same. The only thing we've really changed is I've got a, a couple of new different uh, design weapon bars this time that we're looking forward to trying out. So wait, what speed controllers were you running before? The ones I was running before were Victor HVs, the high-voltage versions. Um, and they haven't been made in you know 10 years. So it's been a while. That's really cool. Um, and what what did you move up to? What are you working with now? Uh, right now, I'm using some of the Rage Bridges that uh, Charles makes. So um, you can they're a two channel speed controller, but you can set them up to do one channel with twice the amperage. And so we have two of them then set up that way in there, one for each side of the drive. And I mean, obviously, I don't know what it's going to do in combat, but to driving it around in the driveway, it drives fine. So I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with the the setup as it sits right now. Uh, those are pretty robust things. I mean, Charles posts lots of pictures of uh, entire robots being burnt up and those rage bridges just hanging out just fine. Um, I, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's going to work really well. I mean, obviously we we'll see we'll see what what happens in the arena, but uh, just driving it around the driveway, I think it it uh, it actually seems to me like it drives crisper than it did with the older ones. So I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with it. So you're not going to break the news on our show that you've become a brushless hipster and you've gone completely to brushless rage bridge. Uh, there, there, there is nothing brushless in Tombstone. <laughs> Fair enough. Ray, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I have a bunch of exciting questions about Tombstone's blades, but I do have a couple of personal questions. First, this is the first time I've ever had a chance to meet you. It's an honor. Uh, and I've, I've been wondering these questions for a very, very long time, and I hope that you can uh, scratch that itch. Uh, okay. First, number one, since you are Ray Billings, does that mean that you're technically the top Billings team? <laughs> I, I, I'll have to say yes. Anytime I'm in a list, I'm at the top. Come on. Okay. Second question. Uh, after you do thousands or potentially tens of thousands of dollars of damage to another bot, do you ever tell that team to take it up with the billings department? Yeah. No, you know, I, I never try to inflict any more damage than I have to. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's all pretty good natured going both directions. Alexander wants to know, can you tell us about the different blades Tombstone will be using this season? All right. Um, 
So I, I almost always have an aluminum bar with steel tea. Uh, this season, I've got two of them. So I've got uh, the one that I used last season that got damaged. I kind of half-assed repaired it. And so it's, it's usable again. And then I made a new one. Um, the only thing I've done differently this time is usually the steel that I use for the teeth is uh, 4140. That's typically what I make my teeth out of. And I'm trying something different this year. It's a, it's a tool steel called H13. And uh, so we'll uh, we'll see. The, the numbers say it should work really well, but there's a difference, you know, there's a difference between theory and practice. So we'll have to see in the arena how they hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, for the steel, all steel weapon bars, um, typically I've always used S7 as the alloy. Um, and I'll still have a couple of S7 bars with me this time. The two new ones I had made though this year are uh, were water jet cut out of AR500 plate. Wow! So it's not as hard as hardened S7, but it should be tougher. So I, I the, the the game plan is to not snap any weapon bars. Mm. They uh, they they should bend prior to snapping. So we'll we'll see how that holds up. Um, the only other one on top of that is I do have one that's titanium. Um, and you know, uh, that's, it's designed similar to the aluminum bars with steel teeth on it, but that's the, that's the last one that I'm bringing. Yeah. In, in that vein, we have a question from Mario Cast who asks, does Tombstone have its blades, uh, heat treated to increase the hardness? Um, if you are using AR plate, the reason you would use that is because it's already heat treated. So in that regard, it's already hardened. Um, the S7 is different. You buy that in an annealed state, you machine it the way you want, and then you have it heat treated to harden it. Uh, the same with the, the material for the teeth is also hardened to, to heat treat, you know, get the, the hardness you're after. Mm-hmm. Um, a follow-up question to that from B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson, who asks, can you give us a rundown of what each of the different weapon bars do, as well as a possible reasoning behind the choices that you've made for them? Sure. Um, some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. So there's 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 always the play on how much reach you have. So if I'm fighting, oh, let's say something like Minotaur, um, I don't need any reach on that at all. He has virtually no reach whatsoever. So I don't need to worry about reaching out and touching them before they get a hold of me sort of thing. But then if you get another robot, I don't know what happened. Uh, Death roll would be a good example. That that weapon kind of sticks out over the nose a long ways. So you'd need more reach then at that point in time to be able to contact him before he contacts you. So one of the first things I'll look at is just that, that engagement, how long of reach I need. The next thing might be looking at specifically what sort of armor they have. So if they've got nice big square sides I can get a hold of, well, then one with a big broad tooth might be better. It's one of the, like the aluminum bar with the steel teeth. That's got a two inch wide tooth, you know, where it's going to be hitting. So I can deliver all my energy that way. But if it's something like a, a, let's say a sloped wedge on the front, I'll need something that's sharper to dig into the wedge so I can deliver my energy instead of glancing off. So then one of the S7 bars would, might be a better choice. It's, it's, there's always a discussion in our pits about, which bar we're going to use against which opponents 
And honestly, it's the only time that me and the team don't necessarily always agree is when we're having these discussions over which weapon bar to run. It's like you're going to need a caddy and like you kind of reach <laughs> into the golf bag and you get to choose which one. Uh, you got to go with the seven iron. No, I'm going to go. With, I'm going to go with the flat blade today. It's very similar to that. You know, we, we have to go through each of those things. And, you know, there's also some of them are heavier than others. So if mm -hmm. I've got something where I need I feel I need more armor. If I uh, any of the hammer robots, I'm going to need to have some measure of armor across the top. So then I'm going to have to use one of the lighter weapons simply because I'm adding the weight to put the armor up top. So there's there's a lot of different things that go into that decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, touching on one of your points, Rob Parson asks, can you explain some of the reasoning behind using a flat blade versus a blade with a more pointed or weighted uh, tip? Wouldn't forcing all of the en energy into a smaller impact point do more overall damage? Yes and no. Um, so uh, so if the idea is to deliver all of your energy, um, typically the big wide hits tend to deliver more complete energy transfer than a, than a sharp one. So uh, if you're using a sharp edge, what's gonna happen is when it hits, it's going to start to separate the material on the other robots. So you're, you're delivering some of your energy into shredding their armor. Well, most heavyweight combat robots have significant armor. So if all you're doing is shredding what they've got out front, well, they just keep feeding you that piece over and over again, and eventually you're going to break. Sometimes what I want is I want to deliver all of my energy into one hit. And if I can do that, sometimes I can break electronics inside or motors inside or I can break something internal on the other robot and the big wide tooth can deliver more energy than the, the the sharp one can another thing to take into account is how the contact between the two weapons are going to go so if I'm fighting another horizontal say uh, gigabyte something like that I want a nice big wide tooth to make sure my my weapon hits his weapon. I want the, the 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 two weapons to collide completely. And if you're using more of a knife edge, there's a real chance that I might miss that and you know glance off his shell rather than dig into where I need the hit to go. Mm -hmm. It's it's another one of those things we just have to consider how the the two robots are going to match up uh, whenever the they get in the arena. Brian Latimer has an interesting question. With so many different bar designs, uh, each for specific scenarios, uh, do you think that you'll reach a point where it's going to be difficult to choose which bar to use for an upcoming match? Yeah, you know, it's it's like a lot of times I'll, some of the weapon bars I have, I've used for a long time. So I've got some that have been around for a while, and if they're still viable, I keep bringing them. So it, it looks like, you know, I had, you know, five, then I had seven, then I had 10. And it looks like, well, my God, he keeps making more and more weapon bars. Well, a lot of them are just ones I'd had before that I just keep hanging on that I probably won't use. So like I've got, I don't know, I think I've got three out there right now that aren't mounted up on the hub. The reality is I'll probably bring them. And the other reality is I probably won't use them. They, 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 it'll just never come to that. Um, you know, it's just... <laughs> I'd rather have it with me and then have it back in the garage and decide, you know what? I wish I had that one that was sitting back home, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. We had a series yeah. of interesting questions from uh, Clepton Gilroy who asks, 
Why do you use uh, 4140 teeth on your aluminum and titanium bars and not S7? S7 is definitely harder. So you, you can you can you can get a harder Rockwell set to it than you can for 4140. The problem is the way those teeth are designed with the mount going right down through the center of the tooth. It doesn't it doesn't take too much to actually crack them and the S7 is a lot more prone to that. So I, I usually use the 4140 because it's a lot more forgiving in that regard and less likely to actually have the tooth fail completely. The the tooth failing completely is what happened in the match against Rotator, which is why I lost that particular match is one of the teeth did separate. Mm. Uh, another one from Klepton. For what reason did you use the red S7 bar against Whiplash in Season 4 when you still had the titanium bar that you beat them with in Season 3? Did you just want to see if it would perform better, or was it uh, due to being disappointed with the titanium bar's performance in Season 3? Uh, the titanium bar has the highest kinetic energy numbers of any of them I've got. So it's definitely the one that hits the hardest. The other side of that is, though, it takes the most energy to get it up to speed. And it's the hardest one on my batteries. Mm. And so if you if you get a tough opponent, and I think Whiplash is a very tough opponent, there's a pretty good likelihood they're going to take me most of the match to knock them out. And so if I'm running the titanium bar, there's a chance that I might damage my batteries before the match is over so one of the other bars like the s7 is a, is probably a better choice against a tough opponent like like them that's going to take me the distance would you ever consider spinning counterclockwise in a matchup if you thought it would be beneficial um i have no problem in spinning the other direction uh, the reality is everything is essentially wired to spin the way it spins right now um, so if I felt the need to go the other way, I'd probably just flip the robot over and start it upside down. Um, so it, is it an option? Yeah, it is, but I'm probably not going to make any changes internally to make it happen. All right. My last question, it's a well, two part question from two different, uh, two different listeners. Um, uh, Gil Hova asks, what is it, what is it like to drive tubestone, especially when the bar is at speed? How significant are the gyro forces, and does it change the way that you handle the bot? And the follow-up question is from Joey Wu, who asks, do you and other spinner builders design specific safeguards to counter the gyroscopic effect, or is it just par for the course and something that requires careful driving? Okay. Um, so one of the benefits of a robot design like Tombstone is the the plane that you're driving in is also the same plane that the weapon is spinning it. So when it's spun up to speed and I'm driving around the arena, I'm not really fighting gyroscopic forces. Um, so you pick a, pick a vertical, you know, everybody's seen Minotaur's dance at the end of the match where he spins up full speed and then he's turning and it pulls the robot up all weird, all kind of different angles. That's because the, the, the orientation of the spin is, 90 degrees from the orientation of the, of the drive. And with a, with a horizontal, you're, you don't have that issue. The, the, the gyroscopic forces actually help you stay flat. The downside of that is if you hit something that's hard enough to force your weapon up out of that plane, 
with a horizontal, you're probably going to stay that way for a while. So all the weirdness where my robot's bouncing all over the arena and stuff is usually because somebody was able to, was tough enough to get that weapon up out of plane. And then, then it's just absolute chaos. It's just going to go wherever it's going to go. And for me, at least, there's not like there's anything you can really design there that's going to change that. All I can really do is just <laughs> turn the weapon off, let it bounce around for a while till it comes back onto the ground. And as soon as it's stable again, turn it back on. That's about all I can do. Hey, Ray. So we have a handful of listener questions left. And the next ones are about Perfect Phoenix. Okay. So Richard Sum writes, you've helped with refurbishing what used to be brutality into Perfect Phoenix, which is another great showing of the camaraderie of the robot fighting community. How extensive were the upgrades to Brutality? Uh, not a great deal. Um, you know, the the when we when we got it, the frame on it was damaged in a few spots, um, and so it's there's some stuff I had to reweld and try to get it back together and working. Um, interestingly, some of that damage that was done to it, I probably did way back in the day. So it, it's like I'm. <laughs> I'm repairing damage that I created years before. Um, so we, we, we got the frame straight again, welded up and whatnot. Um, he had most of the pieces complete there for it, but there was some stuff that, that was still missing. It, when robots sit around for a while for, you know, other you build a new project, you start scavenging parts off of the old one. And so there was a few things I had to, to make or fabricate in order to get it back together. Um, there were some, two, like, uh, it, it ran, uh, uh, A123 style batteries before. Right now it's been upgraded to LiPo. Um, some rewiring I've done inside. Just a few little changes here and there. Most of which were like, he had virtually no armor on it before. The top was just Lexan. There was nothing on the bottom. And I've added some titanium plate there, but that's mostly just because it was, so far underweight because the weight categories are slightly different that there was room to do those things. So the, 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 the changes have been minimal. Uh, mostly it's just me getting it back to combat ready at this point in time. That's uh that's really exciting. Richard has some follow-up questions to that, which I think all of us are wondering. So he wants to know how much will you regret it if you end up having to face Tyler, AKA Doomkid, <laughs> and either a, Absolutely destroying an 11-year-old's aspirations on national television, or B, <laughs> <laughs> or B, your own robot getting absolutely destroyed by another robot that you helped to rebuild. Well, okay, the, the, the first part of that to remember is that, yes, Tyler's 11, but Tyler's been at this for a long time, and he has more, more combat matches than probably two thirds of the people at BattleBots. So, wow. you know, he he is a seasoned competitor. Okay, so he knows what it's like to win, and he knows what it's like to lose. It's not like it's not like if that match happens and he comes out on the bottom of that, he's not gonna, you know, he'll he, he he's he's a he's a seasoned pro. Okay, but whatever gets broken on either robot will still be stuff I end up having to fix. <laughs> so so that part may end up being kind of hard to deal with because just like because you know he's 
Tyler's fierce. It, you know, if we have to go at it, I'm going to have to keep wailing on him until he can't move anymore. I already know that, which means I'm going to end up having a heck of a heck of a time fixing it. And the robot is the robot itself is really tough. The uh, last rights and brutality fought multiple times, and I think they're a 50-50 record. So it's not like it's not like me fighting him as a gimme. That he very well could beat me with that machine. It's it's a tough robot. So uh, I guess we'll just have to play it out in the arena and see what happens. I mean, I know the audience would love to see that. You probably are not thrilled about having to fix two bots in one night, <laughs> but. Uh... We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and then the last question from Richard about Perfect Phoenix is, how much potential do you see in Tyler and, and Team Doom? Will they be fighting it out for the championships? And if so, in what time frame do you think? Uh, well, obviously, as far as driving skill goes, he's as good as anybody. So could he go deep in a tournament? Absolutely. Um, this will be his first time in the battle box. So this will be his first time in an arena with active hazards, you know, there's, there's some, there's some differences here. There's some things he hasn't experienced before. And, you know, the, the robot, the robot's tough. It's a, it's a good machine, but you know, we only have the, the one frame for it. It's not like it, the, the depth of parts isn't necessarily there to go win a championship. So at this point in time, I'd, I'd love to see him get there, get a few victories under his belt, get, some experience with the with the bot and then decide from there if he wants to do more with it down the road um it, the robot is underweight it's it's well under the the maximum weight category so if we were to right now the frame is uh, water jet cut and welded together aluminum plate i i honestly think with the weight category as it sits we could probably rebuild the thing and make the frame out of AR plate all the way around and probably still make weight. Wow. So if if we get to that point and we decide, okay, down the road, this is something that yeah, he wants to do and is, you know, the the if if that's where we end up down the road, uh, that's probably what what we'd end up doing is actually just rebuilding more seriously going forward. So we have a few questions left. These are uh, a bit random. They don't fit in any quite category. So uh, okay. <laughs> friend of the pod, Lindsay Yuriko, who it happens to be her birthday today. So happy birthday, Lindsay. Uh, she, woo! she wants to know what matchups did you most enjoy? And what would you like to fight that you haven't fought yet? Um, well, you know, the thing is, anytime I get a chance to get in the arena, I've enjoyed every one of my fights. I mean, some of them end up being more memorable, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not like I enjoyed them more than other ones. So like, you know, my match against Gigabyte where a shell came off. I mean, that it's a very memorable match, but it was a quick one. It's not like it was, you know, anything super fancy. Um, as far as stuff going forward, I, I I hope that they end up giving me robots that I haven't fought before, and that's that's really my only real hope out of anything they're going to be. You know, it's like I, there's a lot of machines there that I've already faced. Well, give me something new this time. You know, get, give me give me something else to to test the robot against. So it's not like I've got any specific ones picked out, but uh, um, I just hope it's something that's that's different than what I've fought before, just to just to see what happens, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. 
Uh, Battle Boss executive and referee John Remar asks, why do you keep putting holes in our battle box floor? Your fight is not with the box. Uh, the, 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 the arena is evil and must be punished. Um, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, when I put a hole in the floor, I do apologize for it. So there is that. <laughs> Copperhead teammate Luke Quinn has an interesting question. What will Tombstone look like in 20 years? <laughs> Probably a rusty piece of junk sitting in the side of the side of my garage at this point. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, uh, my teammate Rick and I have talked off and on about making some changes down the road and, and doing some things differently than what we're doing now. We haven't, we haven't come to terms with what that might or might not be, but there, there are, the robot basically hasn't changed much in you know 10 15 years to be honest and so it's it's possible that we could end up with some different layouts it's always it would always end up being a two-wheel drive horizontal bar spinner but there are some there are some things i might consider doing differently down the road try to get a little lower profile try to you know put a little more weight in the weapon if i can that sort of stuff <laughs> Uh, this is a kind of a, a follow-up to that from Daniel Leslie Marshall, who asks, do you ever feel stuck in a box and that it's expected of you to turn up the two events with two million last rights? In other words, are you happy to fine-tune this design year after year, or would you rather build something completely new, but with the pressure of having it compete as well as those, as with those two? Well, to, to be as wishy-washy as I can with that question, the answer is probably both. I mean, I love showing up at Tombstone, and I know it is expected. It's what the fans want to see. It's what my fellow competitors expect of me. And anybody that's watched me on the show can see I'm absolutely having a good time while I'm doing what I'm doing. The other side of that is, though, of course, I'd, I, there's times I want to build something new and new and different. And it's it's kind of impossible now. I mean, BattleBox is the only real heavyweight real heavyweight event where you can run kinetic energy at least you know that i could go compete at and so the idea of you know like i've got parts here to build a really nice vertical robot that i would love to build at some point in time and i i can't if i take in tombstone every time because it's there's only so much you can support so i i don't know there's I, i'd like to do some different things down the road i've got some neat ideas that might be fun to to explore and it's kind of hard to do those things when you have a robot as effective as tombstone sitting in the garage ready to go it's pretty hard to 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 drive down a different road when you've got one that works so good you know? <laughs> absolutely yeah no that i mean it, it would, would be hard to you know kind of go off in, in a brand new direction when you know you've got a championship bot uh That's ready it. to go um, and so I should mention that Graham Bell had a very uh, similar question. So I wanted to make sure that he got mentioned, but I think you already covered what he uh, was asking. So we have one more question from James Williams who asks, as the captain of the machine that has become the face of modern battle bots, do you ever get recognized in public? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, so if I'm wearing, any robot related shirt and you know i mean 
let's face it, most of us who build robots were not exactly fashion icons. So you know, the reality, the reality is I'm going to be wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and half the time that t-shirt probably says something robotic on it. So if I'm wearing something like that, then of course I get recognized fairly quickly and easily. The ones that are fun, though, are when they, they know they know me, they just don't know where from. And so they'll start asking questions like, okay, you know, hey, did you used to work with so-and-so? No, no. All right, well, are you <laughs> with this guy? No, no. And, you know, sometimes it'll just depend on how bored I am. Sometimes I'll let them go on for a while. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let them off the hook real quick and easy. My favorite story from that was a lady that, that we went through this thing. She asked me, she could tell she knew me, didn't know where from, asking me these questions. Hey, how do I know you? How do I ever meet you? Whatnot, everything. And you know, let's face it, BattleBots has portrayed me as somewhat as the bad guy throughout, especially the first couple of seasons. And so when I finally let her off the hook, I said, well, did you ever watch BattleBots? And so she points her finger at me. And she goes, you, we didn't like you. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, no. and, then she, and then she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I just said that to you. And I go, no, 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 really, it's OK. It's no big deal. But, you know, it was one of those things where the, the only way they'd ever seen me or had any interaction was the fact that I was the bad guy from the television show. So it was it was it was kind of funny in that regard because she was so apologetic afterwards. because It was that was just her, her honest take on it when she when she finally recognized who I was. Oh, that is that is too funny. Um, I'm going to hand you back to Kyle, who has a, one more thing for you. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, Ray, I want to say, um, let's qualify your statement. Most BattleBots competitors are not fashion icons unless they are from Miami, because let's face it, Will Bales, Victor Soto, the entire Witch Doctor team, fashion icons. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> and don't forget about Kraken. Yeah, don't forget about the Kraken boys. I mean, come okay, on. Kraken, I'll, I'll give them their due. They, 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 they look nice. <laughs> All right. So, um, Ray, you have done a lot of firsts in your life, but you have done a first on this podcast. You are the <laughs> first ever um, guest who has gotten on the guest questions thread and asked questions of yourself. <laughs> okay, now, right. we have decided that we're not going to let you answer those questions. Fair enough. In fact, we found somebody else who can answer them slightly better so pardon my low tech here uh we will edit this much better in post but for right now these are these are the answers to your questions okay okay what makes ray billings so good looking well i think the gods finally answered his call after he sacrificed enough robots to them what makes him so charming hmm. periods of silence how does he stay so incredibly humble? Hmm. I think that's probably got a lot to do with only having one giant nut instead of three. Right, Paul? And that was, of course, the captain of Nelly the Ellibot, yeah, uh -huh. Sarah <laughs> who requested that I make sure that you hear all of those answers and then we not just edit them into the pod after the fact. <laughs> Paul, oh, sounds fair, sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, what what one giant nut will in fact make you humble? Okay. <laughs> Ray, uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say thank you so much for taking some time out of the week before BattleBots 
when you're fielding more robots at BattleBots than you literally ever have to talk to us and joke with us and tell us really great stories. Uh, we really appreciate you and we really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. No problem. No, this stuff is always fun. I enjoy doing this. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel to South Korea, where researchers at Korea University have built a robot that has mastered the age-old sport of Olympic curling. In curling, competitors slide polished stones along a sheet of ice with the goal of landing on a target at the opposite end of the court, knocking out their competitor's stones in the process. The robot called Curly uses image recognition and artificial intelligence to make decisions on the fly about where and how to throw its stones. In a test match against some of South Korea's top human curlers, Curly won three out of four matches. So now the robots are coming for our highly coveted curling jobs. Uh, this is this is pretty crazy. I don't. I just I have to wonder like what the inspiration behind this was. Why researchers and and engineers are all coming together specifically to build a curling robot? Um, I don't have the answer to that, but uh, you know, what do you guys think? It's obvious that these um, South Korean uh, engineers really put their souls into it. <laughs> that was terrible, but I loved it. Met with an icy reception. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so Lindsay, there there's this really cool chart of um what games computers can beat humans at and uh you know it starts with very basic like you know tic-tac-toe computers can can beat humans 100 percent of the time uh you know we've uh, computers can beat us at checkers can uh can beat us at, at chess and uh you know ai is now transitioning over into physical sports and um, there are certain sports where machines will eventually beat us completely because they can just do it better than we can. Um, curling is is like a highly technical sport, and it, there's math behind it, and there's you know kind of like a, a perfection that can be achieved by a machine that uh, humans just can't achieve on their own. So uh, kind oh, of cool that we're now, we're starting with that. Why do we want robots to beat us at things? Because first it starts with something innocent like chess or curling. And then they're beating us at more important things that might have higher stakes. Like checkers and <laughs> the biathlon. <laughs> it's a slippery. I don't. I don't. Oh, biathlon joke. <laughs> Unintentional. I, I don't know if robots could ever actually beat us at curling because i don't think it's as just like mathematic and technical as you're portraying it luke i think it's got a lot more 
intuition involved. I think there's a lot more nuance involved. I think there's a lot more just feeling what the air currents and what the ice is doing than you could program into a robot. And I'm not joking about that. Kyle, there's no intuition in curling. It's math. It's math and geometry. It's angles. It's like optical character recognition, you know. Uh, it's, it's photos, you know, it's AI, like it, it's a hundred percent. They, they will beat us in curling in the next five years. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, like the slightest thing changes everything in curling. Plus are the robots going to be the sweepers as well as the throwers? Like, <laughs> like there's just a guy like Carl, he's out there with the sweeper furiously sweeping the ice and he's going up against just like a Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, I've I've never curled before. Kyle, you're you're the you're the curling expert, I think, uh, among this group of friends. I am not a curling expert. I went to a buddy's birthday party that was at a curling club in New York, and wow. uh, we all drank a copious amount of German beer and curled. And I gotta say, I got there thinking that it couldn't be that hard. It was basically akin to bowling. And through my first couple of stones slash did my first couple of sweepings, um, stone cold sober, uh, stone on cold. Interesting. But anyway, um, and realized that this was a very challenging task. And then after a few more beers, realized it was not as hard when you were uh, a little bit inebriated. And then I found out that after you get too inebriated, it's very difficult. See, and robots at this point can't even drink beer. So, <laughs> there, so what is challenging about it is the fact that, like, you really don't know what your sweepers are going to do. Your sweepers don't exactly know what your thrower is going to do. You try to communicate as well as you can, but, like, you can't really throw the stone to where it's going to get to the target accurately without the sweepers kind of modifying what you're doing. So it is in a sense, this like perfect communication collaboration thing. And the ice changes, you know, like the beginning of the day, the ice is going to react differently to the end of the day. It's a little bit more watery. It's a little bit more solid. Like it does different things throughout the day. So you have to be able to really read that ice and what it's going to do when you throw your stone. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll slide into your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.